We've been looking at various songs. One of the things that's hard for me to do is not just pick out favorite songs that I like and just do those. So we've been looking at different songs, and hopefully it's been eye-opening and encouraging to us as we look at those songs. The thing I want to remind us always is that these songs are not inspired like the Word of God. So we may not always come up with the right meaning from what the author had. Uh, so we need to understand that, that only God's Word is inspired. And so uh, sometimes we interpret verses differently. But here we're looking at a song, I Stand Amazed. And I think that it's a, a beautiful song because it expresses uh, Christ's love for us. And it does so in many different ways. And as the very first verse says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how He could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. When we think of that verse, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. When I think of all that the Bible tells us, all the wonderful things that it tells us that Jesus has done for us, we do or should stand amazed. It's hard for me to understand how people can look at the Bible or even look at our creation and not realize that there's a God that loves us and cares for us and that His Son came to this earth and died for our sins. And it talks about He's a Nazarene. He was a resident of Nazareth. So this immediately implies that He left heaven and that He came to this earth as a human being to die on the cross for us. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." Drop down to verse 14, it says, "...and the Word was made flesh." and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When you think of just that step alone that Jesus took to leave heaven, to come to this earth, that should put us in awe. That should, we should stand amazed to know that Jesus would leave heaven to come to this earth and live a lowly life as a human being and die on the cross for your sins and mine. And we should be in awe of that fact. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. When you think about Jesus coming to this earth in the form of a human, He realized the pain that we have. He knows the pain that we suffer when we're hurt, when we're injured. He knows that and He came to this earth anyways and died a very cruel and agonizing death on the cross for you and me. And it wasn't just the event that took place that night on the cross or that day on the cross. It was also all the things that led up to it and the agony that he went through as he was trying to be the example and to teach the things that people needed to know and understand so that they could be a servant of our Lord. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 23, it says that he came to dwell in a city called Nazareth. That is, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. There is no specific prophecy that we can find or I could find in the Old Testament concerning Jesus living in Nazareth. But we realize that if the Bible states that, then it must be true whether we find the prophecy or not. 
Because once again, we need to be reminded that the Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. God's Word is truth. And so if God's Word says it, we can believe that it is true. And so we need to understand that. And I want to also point out we shouldn't confuse him with being a Nazarite. Uh, because that's a whole different uh, uh, vow that someone would make, and you can read about that in Judges chapter 13. But this Nazarene certainly did love us. He was willing to die on the cross. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, "...hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren." Jesus set an example for us, and we can see, if you remember back in our study of the apostles, we can find where history tells us, or tradition tells us, that the apostles, with the exception of John, all died martyrs. They gave their lives for the cause of Christ. Jesus gave His life so that you and I could have salvation. You and I need to give our lives. And maybe we may not die in that process, but we die to self. And so we give ourselves daily as a sacrifice to our Lord. In John chapter 15 and verse 13, it says, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And so we realize that Jesus died for us. We need to think about that, and we need to think about that often. And sometimes I stand amazed at the fact that people can see that and read that and understand what the Bible is telling us about the love of God and the love that Christ had in order to do what He did for us. And it's amazing to me that people can reject that offer. The song says, He loved us even while we were yet sinners, and as the verse says, condemned and unclean. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, But God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do we really appreciate what Jesus did for us? Do we take it for granted? Do we abuse the privilege that we have of being a child of God? Or are we grateful for what our Lord has done for us? And that God the Father loved us enough to send His Son to die on a cross for you and me. The second verse of that song talks about the agonizing in the garden that He went through for you and me. For me it was in a garden. He prayed, not my will, but thine. He had no tears of His own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. It was for us, you, me, all of mankind. And when you think about sin, sometimes we look at individuals and the sin that they commit and it's disgusting. It makes us feel unclean just looking at what someone else has done. But what we need to understand is our sin is just as bad. Our sin makes us unclean. And it was in the garden that He prayed not my will, but thy will be done. Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. And in Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, the Scripture tells us that he was in agony. He was pained. He was suffering. In the hymnal, Sacred Selections for the Church, 
That stanza is completely omitted. But to me, that phrase in that song simply means that His suffering, which included agonizing in the garden, was not for any grief brought about by sin on His part, but that all of His tears and crying and suffering was a result of our sins, yours and mine, and all of mankind. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, it says, "For Christ also suffered, once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that we might that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit." Jesus, the just, suffered for you and me, the unjust. And that last line of that stanza that says, but sweat drops of blood for mine. We might change those words to be, but sweat drops as blood for mine. Because I don't believe that the Scripture actually states that Jesus sweat blood. Now I know that there are some that believe that actually He did, but I don't believe that that's what the Scripture is telling us. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 44, it says, that he was being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. As I mentioned, some people teach that Jesus actually sweat blood in the garden. But again, the Scripture, I don't believe, supports that. There is a medical condition where people sometimes when they are in agony that the blood vessels will break, the tiny blood vessels will break, and it will mix with sweat, and they will sweat blood. But that's not what it says here. That's not what it's telling us. And I don't believe that it's talking about the color, but describing the manner and size of the sweat. The Scripture wants us to understand the agony that Jesus was going through. He wasn't just perspiring like we may hear in the building from time to time when it's very warm in here. But the sweat was actually rolling off of His body. In any event, I understand the statement to mean that all of His suffering was for us on account of our sin. Nothing that He had done that was wrong. The third verse of that song says, "...in pity angels beheld Him and came from the world of light to comfort Him in the sorrows He bore for my soul that night." In Luke chapter 22 and verse 43, it says, "...and there appeared an angel unto Him from heaven, strengthening Him." He needed encouragement. And I think that we can see that He went to His Father in prayer. <clears throat> we see that God took care of His need. The agony that Jesus went through in the garden was not the end. In fact, it was only the beginning <clears throat> of what He was going to suffer through this ordeal of His crucifixion. And so it appears that the angel came from heaven strengthening Him, not only during the agony of the garden, but undoubtedly for the rest of the tribulation that He was going to go through as well. And certainly, Jesus did experience many sorrows for us, for you, for me. 
Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 4, says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own ways, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from the prison and from judgment. And who shall declare this generation, or his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Here we see the picture of a holy, pure, innocent individual who is going to suffer and die for those who did not deserve it. Think about what that all means, about what God has done and what Christ has done. We don't deserve what they've done for us. And that's why we should stand in amazement when we think about what they've done for us. Do we take that for granted? I want you to turn with me over to Matthew chapter 26. Because I want to read several passages of Scripture to kind of give us an idea of what all He went through on that occasion. But in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 47, it says, And while He yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he, was betrayed, he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then, they, then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto, them, unto him, Put up again thy sword into its place. For all that take, all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the Scripture be fulfilled that thus it must be? And in the same hour said Jesus to the multitude, Are ye come out as against the thief with swords and staves? For to make or to take me, I sat daily with you in teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And they that laid hold on him, on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off with a high priest's palace, and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council <clears throat> sought false witness against Jesus to put Him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. 
And at the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answers thou nothing? What is it which thou these witnesses or witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now we have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He's guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, Thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? That's just the beginning of what's taking place in this situation with Jesus. Imagine being betrayed by a friend. You say, well, he knew what was going to happen. He was the Son of God. He knew what the prophecy was. Do you think that it hurt any less to know that it was someone that was close to him and it was someone that was going to betray him and then did? And then to have to rebuke Peter who cut off someone's ear and tell him to put away his sword. And then the rest of the ordeal where he stands before the high priest, they look for false witnesses. They can't find any. And then finally, they find someone that will testify falsely against Jesus. And then Jesus tells them who He is. They slap Him. They spit in His face. They mock Him. That's just the beginning of what was happening to Jesus on that occasion. And He did that. Not because of His sin, but because of yours and mine. He took our sins. As the song goes on to say, He took our sins and my sorrows. He made them His very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. He took our sins and made them as though they were His own. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that He might be made the righteousness, or that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus bore our sins. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, Who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Jesus went through that process. He went through that ordeal because He loved us. He bore the burden of Calvary, a Latin term for the place of Golgotha, where Jesus died on a cross for us. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 33, And when they had come to the place which is called Calvary, 
There they crucified Him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. In John chapter 19, verses 17-18, through 18, it says, And He bearing His cross went forth unto the place called, place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified Him and two others with Him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. Jesus is nailed to a cross between two thieves. Died like a common criminal. Not because of anything that He did that would deserve death, but because of you and me. He was nailed to a cross. And that's really the good news that He died for our sins. Because it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, chapter beginning of verse 3, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scripture. That's the power of the Gospel. That Gospel has the, is the power of God and to salvation. We want to be saved, then you need to hear that message. And you need to be obedient to that message. And then you need to live a faithful life because of that message, because of what Jesus has done for us. Is it too much that He's offered or asked us to live our life by taking up our cross and following Him when He took up His cross and died for you? The song says, and He suffered and died alone. The statement that He died alone is undoubtedly referring to His cry in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, where it says, "...and about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani, that is to say, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me?" There's been a lot of debate over the precise meaning and application of that phrase. But most believe or most teach that because Jesus was bearing our sins, it was necessary for God to turn away from Him at that time and let Him die alone. I think that we see a picture there which may be the occasion, may not be. But sin is something that God cannot bear to look at. And to know that His Son is carrying that burden Not guilty of it, but carrying that burden for you and I. Jesus cried out. The fifth stanza of the song says, When with the ransomed in glory His face I at last shall see, T'will be my joy through the ages to sing of His love for me. Glory here refers to being in the presence of God Himself. In Psalm chapter 73 and verse 24, Thou shalt guide me with Thy counsel, and afterwards receive me to glory. I think that's an interesting passage of Scripture. Because I think that we see there what needs to take place for us to be in that place of glory. We need to allow God to guide us through His Word. Words that He tells us in the written Word that we call the Bible, the Scriptures, those guide us. And when we allow those to guide us, 
afterwards He will receive us into glory. We'll have that home in heaven. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, "...to whom God hath made known..." What the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have that hope of glory because Christ is living in us. How do we have Christ living in us? It's because we are living in His body, the church. He died for the church. He suffered and bled for the church. Those that are saved are part of that church. And so we need to be in Christ in order for Christ to be in us. We need to be living that life that He wants us to live. And when we stand in glory with the ransom, then at last His face we'll see. For when He comes, for when he comes we shall see Him as He is, the Scripture tells us. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. I know there's a lot of times people want to know what's going to happen after the resurrection. People want to know what kind of body we're going to have. All I know is what the Bible tells us, that we're going to be like Christ. We want to be in that saved condition so that we can have heaven as our home and we can look forward to that resurrection knowing that we will have an incorruptible body to live with our Lord for eternity. And at that time, We will join with the redeemed of all ages to sing of His love for us for all of eternity. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. And when He had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For Thou hast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God's kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels around about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is a Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessings and honor and glory and power be unto Him that sitteth upon the throne." and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped Him that lived forever and ever. We see in that passage of song, or that passage of Scripture <clears throat> that a new song will be sung. I've mentioned before when we were on vacation one time, we went to a service and a preacher stood up and was preaching. 
He said, if all we're going to do for all of eternity is worship God, then I don't know if I want to go there. I want to be climbing mountains. I want to be fishing. I want to be doing all kinds of things. My thought was, you probably won't have to worry about it. But think about what Christ has done for us. I believe on the judgment day, we will understand that it is not about me, but it is about our Lord and what He did. And if I'm saved on that day, it will be because of what He did, not because of what I've done. I need to understand that I'm saved by the blood of Christ. I can't buy it. I can't earn it. It's a gift from God. Does He expect me to be faithful while I'm here on this earth? Yes. Does He expect me to work while I'm here on this earth? Yes. Does He expect me to be the light and the salt that we talked about this morning? Yes. Those are our responsibilities as a Christian. But we will be saved because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and me. That last verse, or the last chorus part of that song, I had to look at it a couple of times because I usually sing the bass part. And it really doesn't have an O there in that front part for the uh, others that sing that portion. But it says, How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. The whole song is filled with joyful praise for the suffering and sacrifice that Jesus was willing to undergo so that we might have salvation and hope of heaven. I can sing the song anytime and should sing that song often to remind myself that in the presence of Him who loved me and gave Himself for me, I stand amazed. I hope that you're amazed at what our Lord has done for you. He died on a cross so that you could have eternal life. But He's told us what we need to do in order to accept that gift, and that is to be obedient to His salvation. Be obedient to what He's told us that we must do. We have to hear that Word. We have to hear and believe that He is the Son of God. Turn away from our sin as He tells us, Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. Confess His name as He says in Matthew chapter 10, and verse 32. And then we need to be buried with our Lord in baptism to rise up to walk in newness of life. <clears throat> That's where He asks us to begin that walk. That's what puts us into Christ. The act of baptism. Because the Bible teaches us that we're baptized into Christ. And that's where we need to be in order to be saved. If you want Him in your life, then you need to be in His body. If you are a Christian haven't lived like you should, I would encourage you to make things right with God. You have that opportunity while we stand and sing.